Let's look at what, what are these pomposities that they speak of. Sister Chapman, go ahead. Well, I think it's, I, I think it, like, I don't think anything is there for no reason. Mm. The Bible, everything has a purpose. And I think it kind of paints that picture of what was emphasized. Like, when he came in, it was noticeable. Like, we know a king wears royal attire. Um, it just says, in the King James, it says, arrayed in royal apparel. But it's, it's emphasizing. It's like to let them know that that was a focus. That he came in in such a way that drew attention to him as a man. Not just him, what he's saying, but him as a man. And in that moment, people lifted him up like he was God. They were saying like a God. So it's like, I think it's the purpose of the author putting that in there was to help us get that picture and show that the emphasis was on those things that are man-made and uh, man so All right. Thank, thank you, uh, also, Sister Chen. Go ahead. Uh, Evangelist Nesbitt, go ahead. Okay. Also, um, I agree with Sister Chapman said, but I think it also is to give you the attitude that he had, not just in his dress, but is in his in his attitude. Uh, the the um the word pomposity is not in the King James, but the um to show that he was pompous. He was, um, his whole attitude, he was dressed, his uh, clothing said it, as she said, it, would, it, it drew attention to him mm. and his attitude. It was all to draw attention to him, and it shows because the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God. He made an oration unto them. That, you know, that, even that word tells you he didn't just say, you know, friends, Roman, and countrymen. He <laughs> he um he made an oration. Yep. So all of this is to add to his attitude, his pompousness, and how he was carrying himself, in addition to how he was dressed. All right, we we're getting we're getting into it now. Uh, we're he's even his attire spoke of his intention. We're looking at what he had on, and that becomes the focus. Um, Brother Gerardo, you had your hand up. Go ahead. All right. Um, if we're looking at the word compacity, in order to to sufficiently define the word in the context that we find it here, we need to define and understand who the word speaks of. Uh, the King Herod in chapter 12 of the book of Acts is the grandson of Herod from the book of Luke, the same Herod who sent the soldiers out to kill all children under the age of four when Jesus was born. His grandson was King Agrippa, first this is the, also the father of King Agrippa the second who will we'll later see interact with Paul who says to, to Paul you have almost convinced me you've almost convinced me concerning this Jesus this Jesus guy you're talking about so if we leave the 21st century we rock it back into 
the first century AD, we see a man who's posed between these two ancestors. One, his grandfather, who was the very one responsible for killing all those infants around Jesus. His son, the one who was so worldly minded that the great Paul himself could only almost convince him concerning Jesus. This man walks out after he is he finds that he's pleased the Jews by killing um, James. He walks out in his royal apparel. Imagine a man in purple and gold, all the trappings of his office. He stands out before the people and they begin to cheer. As they cheer, he gives an oration. An oration being a speech. He gives a speech concerning whatever he's talking about. I think, where is it? In verse uh, 44? No, we're in chapter two, uh, 12. So that's around verse uh, verse 20 to 22 or so, or 23. He, the people give a shout. So he walks out there, pompous, full of himself, arrogant, vain. These are the words that would describe his attitude, his carriage, his state of mind. That describes his pompacity. And that's what the word is referring to there when we talk about pompacity. Amen. Thank it's you. Thank you, Brother Brian. It makes me think about Satan Lucifer when he was in heaven. Mm-hmm. How pride goes before the fall. Amen. And the other thing that interestingly says it is a voice of a God and not of a man. Like it, it, they even like separate him and that you and that you brought out that uh, point about Lucifer, that was what he was all about, trying mm-hmm. to be God, trying to put himself in a place that he didn't belong. I just thought it was interesting that for them to say he's a God and not a man and him not to correct it, it shows that he had that same spirit that you brought out as Lucifer. Okay, thank you, Chapman. Everyone who contributed that that's that's right right in line with what we're what we're um what we want to look at, but I, I want us to challenge ourselves to look from a point of view. And, and, and I, don't, I don't want you to hear the question wrong, but I want you to consider what's being said. And we're going to put it all on the same plane. Now, I know God in all his decisions, he's sovereign. And whatever he says goes because he says it. And it's right because he says it. Or it's done a certain way. It's right because he does it. Let us then join the crowd and try and think in terms of the people who are there. Is it unfair in the minds of the people, not as you, not you as a believer, you as one of these Jews who, as um, Brother Nesbitt brought out, cheered at the death of James, the brother of John, and you hear the voice of the king 
and then you see him stricken. Does this come across to these people as a bit unreasonable? What did Herod actually do? What was it what he did or is it what he said? How could this match what what the punishment was? He he may have said something and and we, and we pointed this out in the beginning and this is why I wanted to point this out. We pointed out the fact of what he wore. But we didn't point out the fact of what he said. His attire was worth mentioning, but his speech we did not hear. Yet as he spoke and was complimented for it, he was struck dead. Is it not significant what he said? Did he say something so blasphemous? After all, he is the king. Does he not have the right to speak from this point of view and not be stricken dead as a result of it? Evangelist Nesbitt, your hand is up. Go ahead. I think uh, from the context, it makes you think that he spoke as if he were a god. Because this is what they were saying. Mm. And he, his oration and everything made them think that he was a god or at least proclaim that he was a god. And this, it, it, it all makes you think that this was his intention mm. to make the people think that he was, you know, um, above them. Because you know the Romans believe the Caesars were gods anyway. But so he was putting himself in that position. They were claiming him to be that. Mm -hmm. And it, by all, you know, from the context, it seems to me as if that's what he was trying to do. And then he didn't, he didn't um, correct them. Okay. He didn't correct them. So this merits his death. Is that what we're saying? Uh, Sister Chapman, go ahead. I think she's just clapping. Oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, Sister Pastor okay. is up, though. Uh, go ahead, uh, Brother Nesbitt, go ahead. to King Agrippa by the angel was it unfair in the eyes of the Jews right um, when we look if we look at the Jews had they seen this even those Jews who were on the side of King Agrippa those who, who were clapped for him those who uh, even those who said this is the voice of a God no Jew says will put a person up Mm. On the level of God, no, no Jews do that. The other thing is that you, there's been a lot of ripping of the cloth, cloth a lot of sackcloth and ash, uh, rent, rent clothing. They would not have, uh, they would have reacted that way. So the supernatural reaction to the oration would have caused the Jews, even those that that sided with King Agrippa, to turn on King Agrippa. Mm -hmm. And that's just how that's just how they've been in their their whole history. 
that would have been their reaction. So God's reaction shows that God was not pleased with the speech. Uh, the people's reaction showed that um, that they didn't understand what, they, what was going on. Mm -hmm. uh, but even more so, uh, there was another question there, and I didn't write it down, so I didn't. I, I have an answer, but I don't have a question for it, so I'll okay. probably come back to that later. Thank you, Brother Nezra. That That is very, very important that we recognize the reaction of the Jews because it's very significant what he said. When Jesus claimed who he was and you hear of them ripping their garments, renting their garment as it's put, it's like this is blasphemous that a man would claim to be the son of God, but here you are claiming that this man is a god and your clothes are still in one piece what is going on here praise the lord uh brother joshua go ahead we digging thank you um if i would dare i i, I kind of see this with a bit of a narrative in my head and it ultimately, I believe, comes back to Israel's most continuous problem from the beginning, and that is the desire to have the final say on what is and what isn't. They wanted a king. They wanted to pick their king. They wanted, when they were displeased, for God to just adhere to it, and God has showed them since the beginning he's not doing that. There's a word that I still slips my mind. I don't remember what it was. But it is a word that means it was a name given to a fallen angel. And the word means arrogant in the face of God. It's the substance that makes blasphemy. And it comes from the heart. All of this to say... For God to act, I'll say this another way, for an angel to act on behalf of their master, whom they know who he is, and his creation would boast in such an arrogant way in his face, especially after, this is fresh after the son being crucified, you have to know better for that kind of intervention to take place. You have to know you have to know who God is and choose to blasphemously speak in that way or blasphemously accept that glory. Because if we were to give Herod a pass, then Lucifer, as Michael described, would also need the same pass. Well, if he well, I mean, maybe he's just talking. No, he's not just talking. He's accepting glory that cannot be placed where he is if you even want to describe it spiritual scientifically it cannot go to a place that is not the highest place that is not the most sovereign place and to put it there demeans what god is i didn't even mean to start talking like that but it is it is a very grave offense to put the glory of god on a man or on a boat or on anything on this earth. It's a grave offense. And if an angel acts on that and God says, okay, hey, that, that's your master he's talking about. 
That's his master you're talking about, the angel's master. Amen. Uh, I, thank you, Brother Josh. I also wanted to mention what uh, Miss Tatiana Mills put in the chat that um, just to reemphasize the fact he did not give glory to God, which is going to is is a theme about what it is he possibly could have said or or, or how he could have said it, because um, we can use our rules of interpretation and, you know, context and all of that to look and see. How could what he said have had the effect that he did to the point of his own demise as a result of it? What was said? We, we talk about the stuff that's left out, but there's enough said to where we don't have to sit here and wonder or dwell on it. But there's enough said for us to be able to say, yes, what he said was not pleasing to God. But so so let's try and surmise. What is it? What is it? Um, um, Evangelist Nesbitt, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was thinking in the beginning of the chapter when I th it, it seems like to me Herod was asserting himself because here they are, he goes and gets a leader of the Christians, a leader. Okay, their God is supposed to protect them. He go gets James and kills him with the sword. Then he goes and gets Peter and puts him in jail. So he's showing, he's showing that, hey, his leaders, that you know you are lifting them up so high, I'm above them. It makes me think of when Sennacherib was saying, you know, you know, why are you, you don't listen to Hezekiah telling you that your God will protect you. Your God can't protect you from us. Look what we've already done. And it's like Herod was asserting himself yes. by coming against the uh, church, getting the leaders, you know, and at this point, just one by one. And and then he comes out and makes his big oration and everything. To me, it seems like he was setting himself up. And as you said, the fact that you hear people proclaiming him as a God and not a man and nobody objecting to it. Nobody saying, oh, no, this is blasphemy. Nobody renting their garments and everything. God said, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. We're going to stop this right here. Because he knows how fickle his people are. Amen. Uh, Sister Chapman, were you clapping or hand raised? I do want to say something. I think the assistant pastor and sister D is here. Okay. So I'll wait. I'll let them go. Okay. Uh, sister D and then Brother Gerardo. Go ahead. Is the day you're on mute, or we we're not able to hear you? Okay. I was just thinking about the fact that it said that all this was going on during Passover. Mm. It's like he's even when they put Jesus um, to death, they at least in some way honored the fact of the day, you know they were going to break his legs because he didn't need to be on the cross at a certain time. So he just had total disregard of everything. He's just chopping off heads, you know, throwing folks in jail. Paul was supposed to be killed next if the angel hadn't intervened. And the timing of when he was doing this is pretty significant as well. 
So it just showed a total disregard. He's just kind of above it all. He's just like above the law, above anything. He He's acting like he is a god. Mm, he's acting like a god. My goodness. We are digging. Uh, Brother Nesbitt, go ahead. Brother Gerardo. Yes, go ahead. All right, so as we're looking here um, at what wasn't significant, what Agrippa said, look, if you will, into the Bible, into your mind, as you remember things that you know from the Bible. Look in the book of Revelation, when we look at the, the dragon sweeping his tail across a third of the stars of the heavens, and he flings them out of the heavens. Um, but then take your mind to the point where Lucifer is speaking to his brothers and sisters in the heaven, and he convinces a third of the angels to leave the heavens. What did he say? What were his words? They are not recorded. Look at uh, what, what King Agrippa here says. The worst things you can say, I mean, if you say something that is so bad, that an angel appears and smites you, doesn't ask you to retract, doesn't mm. ask you for clarification, doesn't give you a chance to recant. He just appears and you die. Okay, that's some bad stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was, it, the fact that it's not recorded, to me, belies the significance of what was said it must have been something so bad that this pattern tells me it doesn't matter what was said. It was that bad, and this was the reaction. Yeah. So it, it kind of gives a, a placeholder to the value system at work here. Mm -hmm. All right? You've got words that lift up. You've got words that, uh, that praise words that magnify, but then in this placeholder, you have the unacceptable words, you know, the words that end, end you when you say them mm -hmm. with no, no chance of, of repentance. That was what I was thinking about, the significance of what was said by King Agrippa. Amen. That, that's very important as well, that we, that we look at it in that standpoint and not look at it as though because it's not there, that it's not significant. But to look at it as um, Brother Nesbitt said, the fact that it's not there means it was significant. It don't mean he cussed people out or anything, but the oration that you, that or the, the way that you say it, remember too, the angel appeared, the angel wasn't sitting there, God was um, talking with the other heavenly beings and the angel said, Oh, no, you're not listening to this. I, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Don't work like that. The angel of the Lord is a messenger from God. And what a message he sent. What happens when God says, hush? That's, that's all he told him to do is hush. And as a result, he gave up the ghost because he couldn't hold on to it. So often we think we're holding on to our own lives. God is allowing that your life 
stay in there. Because all he has to do is say, hush. And your body and your soul are separated and you stand before him. But you ain't going to be standing arrogantly. You're not going to be in your pompous attire. No. Nope. It ain't going to work like that. And what he said, and, and the, the reason why I want us to look at the significance, and I'm glad, uh, Brother Nezer, you brought, broke it down like that. The fact that it was not mentioned showed its significance. Look at how the people reacted. And what Paul would write later on, it's the gift of God, not that of yourselves, lest any man should boast. What was he up there doing? Boasting. And he was so convincing in what he said. And the way he presented it and the way he dressed and addressed the people was to turn their minds towards him with all that was happening. The question that I was going to present, and I want you to think about this. I don't even know if we're going to have enough time to dig into it. It's about what was said. And I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget. And then I wrote it so sloppily because I was so excited but I want us to compare two people that we probably wouldn't think to put in the same category. That's Herod and Jesus. Herod and Jesus to compare with Saul. Not of Tarsus, King Saul. We have these three people, all three kings. Yet Saul... If Jesus, you have Herod. And I want us to consider what God said to Samuel concerning the people or concerning the king that they wanted. What did God say to Samuel concerning them? And how does it tie into each situation concerning each of these men mentioned Saul Jesus and Herod what did God say concerning them sister Chapman you had your hand up yeah I was going to say I like I think it's it shows the significance that like he said it wasn't mentioned what he was saying but the spirit he was in was the focus. So sometimes it's not just the words that you say, it's the spirit in which you say the word. The devil quoted scripture, but the spirit in which he was saying it had a purpose to cause Jesus to veer off course. So I think it's not important the words that he used necessarily, but the spirit in which he used it and the response, because it says, it says, and immediately, not like when Ananias and Sapphira, at had a chance, did you? They had a chance to tell the truth. They had a chance to get it right. It says immediately the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten by words and gave the ghost. That was like God knew. Like, like we talked about earlier, God knows that heart. And that heart is what motivated those actions. And I think that's what needed to be emphasized in the scripture. The heart, the spirit, the attitude that you have in the things that you say. And that the things you say 
can show that spirit that you have and can have these type of results. Amen. Cause see, I was I was about to throw out another question, but um, Sister Chapman answered it in in the uh, in in what she said here. It doesn't matter what he said. Because of the heart that he spoke from. It could have been any number of things. It doesn't matter at this point the words that were used. Whatever he said was fueled by the dark, pompous, pride-filled spirit in his heart. And if you gave him a speech written down that didn't come from him. If he was reading a teleprompter, the place that he spoke from was as though he believed. That what was taking place was because of the God-likeness he had. And the people recognized that. And when the people recognized that and not only saw it in that light, but they turned their focus from God to him. Oh, what? were they focused on God before? Something was in their heart. And I, and I mean, you had the uh, followers of Christ who may have heard these same things. They were not to turn their heart towards God and say, you know what? He does kind of sound like a God if you think about it. No, they, they weren't going to be fooled by it. But what was in their hearts that had them on the fence, they fell right over because they bought right into what he said because it spoke to what was in their heart what they were operating by. And as a result, they needed to see this man that you thought so great be struck down by the hand of God who you ignore. And then the man of God who you... Mm, they're going to get into next week. Uh, Evangelist Nesbitt, go ahead. <laughs> I was about to go into a whole nother series. Just sitting here agreeing with uh, what you're saying, and and, and the, the fact that it was not written, because you know sometimes people, you can deny what is written, and you can deny what you said as to the meaning. But when God reads your heart, there's nothing to be said. So like you said, it doesn't matter what words came out. He mm. was judged because of his heart. Amen. And his crazy behind believed it. He believed the hype. He dressed like it. He talked like it. And what he said caused people to see him like it. So that he could boast in what he had done or what he thought he had done. And before he could get too far, angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, hush. Uh, praise the Lord. We thank God for this lesson. We talked about the death of Herod. We might have a little bit leftovers. Um... And then when we come back next week, we want to be able to talk about Peter's capture and his release, um, which, you know, carries over from this lesson. Uh, Brother Gerard, did you have any additional questions for next week? I did not have any additional questions. I, mine would be the same as uh, for this week, the, the, arrest of, the arrest of Peter and the deliverance of Peter. Okay. Okay, so the arrest and the deliverance of Peter is is still on the table. It's something that I know that you were all biting at the bit to talk about, but we ran out of time. So it, it's fine that you, you, we'll be able to do that later on. 
But also remember, and I believe it's in the chat, what did God say to Samuel? And how does it resonate with those three kings? Samuel, uh, Jesus, and Herod. How, how does that tie in? What God said to Samuel concerning the king. Praise the Lord. We thank God for Bishop Nesbitt. And uh, if at this time you have uh, some, uh, uh, if you would address the Bible study at this time. <clears throat> Hello, Bible study. Man. Juicy stuff in my ears. And uh, I may need an ear, nose, and throat specialist so that I can uh, express it. But I'll just say, uh, in the context of what I heard, I agree really with what Bishop Nesbitt said concerning Bishop Gerardo and Nesbitt Jr. concerning what Herod had said. There are some things that are just for those who are there. Uh, if you remember Mother Riddle, the heart use, has a term, I can show you better than I can tell you. And um, the Lord didn't have to do anything but show how he felt about what Herod had done. And he was consistent with his line, even back when Jesus was born. He was uh, one who followed the course of high attitude, exceptional pride in the negative sense. And uh, sometimes we're that way. If we're not careful, we'll look up and not give God glory for what he's done. You know, that was really a good message, uh, founder. Oh, well, you know, I try to do my best. God don't get anything. Uh, you know what? It's just something in the way you smile. Well, you know, I have to floss every day. And before you know it, that same spirit that caused his death will grow in you. It's like a seed. Spirit is like a seed. It'll grow and it'll manifest itself one place and the next place and the next place and the next place. Before you know it, you'll be going, I'm my followers. All of my good people. Living holy is required by God. And God is required for you to live holy. Herod was in a position that was granted by the Romans. And that position brought with certain humiliations to the Romans, obvious to the Romans. But the people accepted him as king. And we know that he really was not God appointed. 
I was uh, interested to know that Herod was the only one that was killed. Herod was killed, but the people who were calling him uh, the voice of a god stayed there. I guess seeing Herod killed was enough to say uh, uh, he was shut up. I will shut up. Mm-hmm. So I want to encourage us um, not to get lost um, in the good things we do. Because if God is not glorified in what we do, you don't always have to say, God did it. You can you can have a spirit of humbleness, a spirit of awe and adoration toward God. And when you are saying it, it will be like Stephen. His face was like that of an angel. The messenger of God saying what God wants us to hear. So when you uh, pass out food to the homeless, when you slip a buck to somebody who uh, decades ago would have said, Brother, can you spare a dime? And now you got to say, can you, can you spare a couple of bucks for a cup of coffee? When you go to the hospital on your service visits, you have to recognize that the people you're going to visit were appointments made by God for you to extend to them his interest and concern about them. That the care you show is God's message of caring. And he's carrying us from place to place in all the world with his word. The words Herod spoke were uttered and unheard. That's a good message. Uttered and unheard. The words of heaven that Paul heard, he says, not even lawful to speak down here. It's not lawful to speak at a level that God has not set you to. A lot of young preachers, we're doing judgment preaching. No. Preach about Adam and Eve. Preach the Ten Commandments. Preach the Beatitudes. Learn how to know what is fund- fundamental in believing. Not what is judgmental in your exhortation or your expression, or you will be taking the place of God, coming up with something you want to have heard so that you can be recognized as being deep. There's a deep place for deep people like that. Mm -hmm. And it has something going on that never stops, never quenched. And the same creatures that ate up Herod, they never die. So that, that was my, my observation.
be the one he made flesh of his word. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us, model holiness, model humility, model obedience, model commitment, and model God's love. Amen. And if we're like him, no worms can have a reason to consume you. And no angel will have a reason to just tell you to shut up. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Bishop Nesby. Thank you for, for your words. And uh, let us consider them as we go forward. These are not just... Uh, Words that we speak for trivia and and that at some point a great trivia will happen and we'll have to give the answers as we learn in Bible study. But there will be trials that we face that will require us to keep these truths and make them self-evident in our own lives. And this is the account that we'll give while we're here to the world that God has given to us to be a light to.